0: Welcome to the IFE Podcast Series. Today's podcast is an IFE visitor lecture and features Dr. Neil Canton from the Australian Institute of Marine Science. Dr. Neil Canton is a research scientist working in the Healthy and Resilient Great Barrier Reef Program. He researches coral bleaching and its severity during recent events compared to past events so as to assess how coral reefs are responding to a warming ocean. His lecture, recorded on Tuesday, the 21st of August, is entitled Coral Bleaching on the Great Barrier Reef and Frequency of Past Stress Events, recorded in coral skeletons. We hope you enjoy this IFE visitor lecture. And thanks everybody for making the time to come and see me talk today. I've spent the last three years um, working with Gabrompa, and JCU tracking how the bleaching event unfolded as part of a pretty big team and have started to build that work into our Ames Coral Core Archive to assess how recent stress events fit into the bigger picture and how reefs are responding to climate change. So I'm assuming that most of you in the room know what coral bleaching is generally. Um, Corals live within a fairly narrow thermal temperature range, they live pretty close to their upper thermal limit. And when temperatures get outside of their normal thermal maximum by about a degree, maybe two, we start to see a breakdown of the generally productive symbiosis between the coral host animal, which you see here as the polyp, and the plant symbiodinium species that typically is the photosynthetic sugar-producing energy source for the coral and why corals are so um, productive in tropical nutrient-deplete waters. Um, But during the summer and with ocean warming, we're starting to see more severe and more frequent bleaching events caused by rises in temperature that coincide with calm, clear conditions and high-light environments. So how has temperatures changed for the GBR? over the instrumental record. So we have decent estimates of temperature back to about 1880. And the recent two decades has exceeded the historic baseline mean by anywhere from 0.3 to 0.9 degrees. And to put that into context in terms of the Paris Climate Target Agreements, the recent 2016 event and then again in 2017, was really only about 0.9 degrees above the pre-industrial level or this baseline value that you see here. So the the targets that are set by Paris agreement of 1.5 to 2 degrees, which we're still not sure that we'll actually reach, are really not a good target for coral reefs as we're starting to see unfold over the recent bleaching events. When we're tracking summer temperatures and responding to a bleaching event, we use a couple different methods. Um, Ames have weather stations up and down the entire length of the GBR that have in-situ temperature records sent back in real time. And then we combine that with satellite sea surface temperatures to compare the subsurface temperature with the surface. Um, The black line that you see here is the historical normal temperature. For the central GBR. And the red line is the actual trace for the 2017 event. And you can see that not only the summers were exceeding the historical average, but also the winters. So, following the 2016 bleaching event, the corals never really returned back to baseline winter norms. And they spent almost two years straight at least a degree above the normal range, which is unprecedented and we haven't seen it before. So what we're actually seeing is that the summers are getting longer as the oceans are warming. So these two plots are just one of the really good examples showing this description, but we have an inshore reef and an offshore reef. The main point that I wanted to show here is that the two lines that you see, the black dotted line is the historical summer maximum value. The red line is if you've heard of the NOAA degree heating week tool, which is what we use to predict bleaching, is one degree is the threshold that they use to accumulate the degree heating week tool. We actually, They actually don't accumulate heat or predict bleaching between this zone. But what we're seeing is that these two years is 2017 and 2016, compared to the 1998 bleaching event. The 98 bleaching event was a very extreme maximum anomaly, two and a half degrees above the summer maximum, but it was short lived. So there was only about a month over that entire summer where the corals were above their normal typical summer value. The recent events are kind of the opposite. They're not really severe extreme maximum anomalies. They're hovering that one degree above the norm, but they're spending almost three months at that value. So the likelihood of bleaching is just as high with long-term low heat as it is with short-term excessive heat. So the summer, as the oceans are warming, we're starting to see a, a longer summer, which is not good for corals either. So during the summer, as we lead into the summer, how do we respond and how do we assess the severity of bleaching. We largely track the satellite tools that are available to look for anomalies that are outside the norm where we expect to see bleaching. At about four weeks above the norm, we expect to start to see the sensitive um, corals start to bleach. We then, in order, because the Great Barrier Reef is so large, it's 2,000 kilometers long, there's 3,000 individual reefs. We combine um, in-water surveys with aerial surveys. The aerial surveys do a really good job at actually seeing bleaching on the reef. So at about 150 meters, we fly above the reef. And you can see this is areas of severe bleaching, so the corals are typically brown. Um, This white and pink and blue that you can start to see is, is what we would consider a very severe. 80 to 90% of the corals that you can see in this image are bleached. Some of them are starting to die, so these green-brown is early signs of mortality, and you can actually see that from the air. And we'll use observers out both sides of the plane to score the severity of the bleaching event on pretty coarse scales. Um, and then we combine that within situ transects at different depths. So we look at the right at the reef top where the water is going to be hottest, where the high light levels are going to be the most severe, and then we also assess how deep the bleaching is is, um, extending. Um, We typically use at least a 50-meter, sometimes 200-meter long transects in different sites and different habitats. And we look at, um, we look for signs like this. So this is what a typical healthy non-bleached reef looks like. This was more towards Townsville in the southern zone. these are what we're scoring as severe, we're starting to see early signs of mortality and the mortality indicator is really important to assess the severity of the event. So corals can bleach and some of the minor impacted reefs um, wouldn't have bleached as far as this and that's what we're trying to assess when we we unfold these surveys. So again, the the categories and the scores that we're looking and the levels of bleaching that you'll see, you'll see colonies and we want to identify tolerant colonies, so these are healthy, not bleached corals. These are what we would consider minorly bleached corals, so just the upper surfaces, less than 50% of the area is bleached. And then the severely bleached and early mortality signs, so these fluorescent pigments. This is dead coral skeleton now being overgrown by algae. And we'll rank the severity of each of the reefs along these categories. Just to give you an example of of a reef that is severely bleached, I'll show you a quick video. And this is what a lot of the reefs anywhere from Hinchinbrook Island north to Torres Strait looked like at the peak of the event. So you're seeing virtually every growth form and every um, species of coral, including the soft corals there, starting to bleach. These are fully white. The brown that you see on the tips and these plates are already dead by the time we got there in mid-March in 2017. This is off of Innisfail, just south of Cairns. There's a massive coral that's about 80% bleached there, so pretty much one that isn't bleached. So it's about 95 to 98% of the colonies at the, in this transect are, are bleached to a very severe level. And this is the level of bleaching that we're concerned about when you hear about it in the news. This is what we're seeing at a large number of reefs throughout the upper two-thirds of the Great Barrier Reef. So the 2016 event um, largely restricted from Port Douglas north was bleached to about that level. We saw 81% of the reefs within that sector bleached to that level that you just saw in the video. Um, And then the severity of bleaching reduced as you went south. And then in 2017, for the first time, we had a back-to-back bleaching event that was just as severe, and it really extended the impact zone further south to pretty much Townsville where we had 80% of the reefs that were bleached to a level that's causing mortality and damage to the ecosystem. When you compare the recent events to what we thought were the worst at that time, worst bleaching events, what we're seeing is that the spatial footprint of severe level bleaching is just expanding. So 1998 and 2002 were the worst bleaching events up until that point that we're on record. And in 2016, we're now expanding that to about two-thirds of the system. And when you look at the severity and the proportion of reefs that fit into this severely bleached, greater than 60% of the community is bleached to a high level, 50% of the reefs that we surveyed in 2016 were at that really severe level compared to 98 and 2002 where you had bleaching but really it was only about 10% of the GBR that was bleaching to a level that was going to cause mortality, which is a real concern. And then when you head into these areas that we scored as severely bleached six months later, so these are images anywhere from Innisfail to Torres Strait, most of those reefs that were scored as severely bleached looked like this when we got there. So there was high levels of mortality that we're seeing. But even in these areas in the upper two-thirds of the GBR, they didn't all bleach and die. So this is reefs off the um, shelf on the Ribbon Reefs north of Cape Town, Cooktown, sorry, and there are still reefs that are avoiding the bleaching in these sectors. So it's when you say that 80% of the reefs are bleached to a very severe level, it's it's still a there's still variability within that system, so we need to make sure that we're really clear on how widespread that bleaching event is, and where there are pockets of of corals that avoided the bleaching. So one of the big questions that we get asked, Ames has a very large coral core archive. Um, Ames has been collecting cores since the late 1970s. How do you put? We we get asked quite a bit. Um, how severe the bleaching is and has it been seen in the past. There's very little historic reports of bleaching for the GBR. Um, One of the earliest signs of corals going white was reported by Young and Nichols at Low Isles in 1930, but really we don't know across the entire space of the GBR whether that and how severe those bleaching events are. And we start to see a really distinct increase in bleaching reports in 1998 and 2002, but is that just a function of more researchers and more bodies out in the water? In following the 2002 bleaching event, we published a paper that showed that coral calcification on the Great Barrier Reef had declined by 11% in and around 1990 to 2003. Before the bleaching event started, we started down the path of assessing whether this declining trend was persisting or whether there was any signs of recovery. So we use long-lived massive Prytes corals. Some of them can grow some of the oldest corals that we have. They're long-lived individuals up to about 400 years old. They're one of the most tolerant coral species in the community, which means that they survive a lot of the bleaching events. And when they do bleach, they largely just bleach on the upper surfaces that are exposed to the light. And so you see a bleached colony there, and you see a colony there that has signs of mortality, but there's surviving tissue around the edges that can then overgrow those scars of of partial mortality. And we can look for those scars in the coral cores. So we take core samples from the middle of the colonies, look for this maximum growth axis, and they reveal annual density bands just like tree rings. So we can use these bands to age the coral and look for signs of stress um, in the coral. The signs of stress that we see within the cores under x-ray include um, reductions in growth. So if you look at the pre-baseline typical growth rate before a stress event, and we can compare the post-stress event growth rate. We see a drop anywhere from 35 to 75% in extension rate for a certain period of time. And we also see these high density stress bands that are significantly higher than post-stress or pre-stress. And we also see those signs of, of partial mortality and those scars healing over. And what we start to see and we look for and compare how long the cores recover. Um, so really quite a powerful tool to assess the historical frequency of these stress events. So we've, we added to the collection um, in 2012 and 2013, we have a total of about 123 cores, that colonies, across the entire GBR that range anywhere from 20 years to 420 years. So we're looking for signs of stress over a fairly long period. And we have 20 colonies that are at least 85 years old. Um, so we, these cores, some of them are four five meters tall. They grow at about a centimeter a year, sometimes two centimeters a year in the far north. Um, and the time period that we're assessing signs of stress includes from 1563 to 2012 in this study. And we really don't see calcification anomalies when you just look at the cores back through time until 1982. We, so we start to see a small number of the colonies starting to show signs of stress in 1982 and then a significant increase around the 98-2002 event. And what we also see is an is actually an increase in calcification over that time period. So as temperatures are warming, we're seeing a 22% increase this is calcification rate on the left as a percentage, so that's the, the typical growth rate of all of the colonies in the study. And then this is the number of cores that cover those time periods. Until you get to a stress event, and then we start to see that abrupt decline in calcification rate. And, and that calcification rate actually only persisted for about four years. So we're starting to see recovery. There's about a 10% decline following the 98 bleaching event. Um, but by 2004, all of the cores were back to exceeding baseline growth rates. So there is recovery in the calcification rate until we get an abrupt stress event impacting on that. So just to summarize, that the 2016 and 2017 event is clearly the most severe bleaching event on record. Um, And for the first time in the Great Barrier Reef, there wasn't a gap between a stress disturbance event. We had a consecutive bleaching event back to back, which is shortening the recovery window for these reefs. Um, We see that calcification rates have actually increased by about 20% um, over that time period until we see abrupt declines caused by the bleaching. the stress events, really, we don't see anything observed in the cores up until 1982. So they are increasing through time. Um, and, and these events are rare for the GBR. Thanks for me. You've been listening to a podcast from the IFE. To stay up to date with our podcasts, please subscribe to our channel. You can also visit us on the web at qut.edu. Dot au forward slash ife, and we're also on Twitter at ife underscore qut, and also on Instagram at ife dot Q-U-T. We really hope you enjoyed this ife podcast.